to Genesis chapter 4. So uh, just as a quick review, um, we've gone through and we've been speaking about how Genesis is a crucial book to the whole Bible. Um, It's one of those books that are attacked again and again and again through uh, liberal theologians. It's attacked through secular humanists. It's attacked uh, in a whole bunch of different places because Satan knows that Genesis is the foundation of pretty much the rest of the Bible. Uh, In Genesis, which means beginnings, uh, we have the beginning of so many different things. Uh, The beginning of the creation of the universe. You know, how how the universe came into existence. Was it by random chance or was it by an all-powerful God? You know, the creation of man. Did man come after the likeness of animals or did he come after the likeness of God, his creator? From there, we also see the, um, the creation of free will. Adam and Eve having the opportunity to either obey God or to disobey him by taking of the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And also we, from there we see sin enter the world. And so why is it that there is pain and suffering in this world? Why is there death? Why is it that so many of our loved ones, um, if you live long enough, you'll watch them decay and, and go from this life into the grave? It all begins in Genesis. And today's uh, no exceptions. We have some more beginnings. Once again, uh, today we're going to be learning about Cain and Abel. And this is the first moment in the Bible where one man raises up his hand against another man and takes his life. This is the beginning of murder in the Bible. And even within a heavy subject like murder, God's grace is surrounding this. And I don't know if you guys have noticed it. Have you noticed that almost every single message since we've been in Genesis has been pretty evangelical? It's been, there's been like Jesus Christ in like all of it. That wasn't intentional. I'm literally just going through the verses and like there's areas where, you know, you have messianic prophecies, you have pictures and typologies of the Messiah, of the sacrificial death uh, to, to coat you know, with righteousness because we can't cover our own. You know, Adam and Eve tried to use the fig leaves, but God said, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sacrifice an animal and put skins over you. But it was only by the death of an animal, the death of another, an innocent party, that their sins could be covered. And so throughout it, I've been really quite dumbfounded as I've been just going through this, like, it's Genesis. And I don't know why I've never really been, like, completely dumbfounded before, but as I've been studying this for teaching in a church setting, I've been amazed about how often... There's pictures and types pointing to Jesus. And today is no exception. Uh, once again, we're going to have an, just an incredible um, picture of Christ, a couple of them actually, through this text. So I'm really excited about getting into this, so why don't we just waste no time? We'll jump right in. Genesis chapter 4. <clears throat> now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Cain's name literally means acquired. Uh, Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you. 
but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond you shall be on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. And it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. And he built a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch, which means teaching. To Enoch was born Irad. Irad begat Mahujael. Mahujael begot Methushael. And Methushael begot Lamech. Then Lamech took for himself two wives, the beginning of polygamy. The name of one was Ada, and the name of the second was Zillah. And Ada bore Jabal, and his uh, and he was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of those who play the harp and flute. And as for Zillah, she also bore Tubal Cain, an instructor of every craftsman in bronze and iron, and the sister of Tubal Cain was Nama. Then Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. Wives of Lamech, listen to my speech, for I have killed a man for wounding me, even a young man for hurting me. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and named him Seth. For God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain killed. And as for Seth, to him also a son was born, and he named him Enosh. Then men began to call on the name of the Lord. Wow, two murders already. Do you see how the effects of sin, they spread so quickly? Literally, Eve, she added to the word of God, we saw that. She literally said, uh, not, you know, we're not allowed to eat it, but we're not allowed to touch it either. And from there, Satan got in there and he was able to manipulate her to say, God will not, you will not die. And he, he deceived her, she ate. So, I mean, think about the first sin. The first sin was literally God said, don't eat that fruit. And she ate that fruit. Like, you know, we, we think, you know, we, we talk about like white lies and our little sins. You know, it's a sin, but it's just a little sin. It's not a big deal. You know, it's not hurting anybody but me. Think about this. The sin that literally brought all of the plagues of this book. I mean, think about all of the death, all of the suffering, all of the pain, all of the hardship, all of the hurts. The sin that brought all of this upon us was literally, that's it. It wasn't murder right off the bat. It wasn't anything else. It was small. That's why Jesus said that if you lust after a woman in your heart, it's the same as committing adultery. If you are angry with your brother without a, without a cause, he said it's the same as murder. 
Why? Because sin starts small. It's kind of like that mustard seed, kind of like faith. It begins small and it spreads and it grows and it becomes more intense. It strengthens as it goes. And so we saw this, what we would think of like, I mean, how many of you have sinned worse than just disobeying something like, okay, I ate something that I wasn't supposed to eat. I have many times actually. And yet we, we don't think of it as any big deal. It's nothing. Oh, what was that? Nothing. You know, sorry, Lord. But what we see is the nature of sin. And in Genesis, we see how it grows. And it never stays stagnant. It grows, it putrefies, and it keeps moving. And it spreads out. And so we see, you know, Adam and Eve, you know, they, they, made, they made their mistake. But then look what the effect that it had on their children. Because it didn't stop at them. They passed that sin down to their sons. And it grew. And within the first generation, murder. Of the first two sons, literally the first son of Adam and Eve committed murder. That shows you the effect of sin. And you might think, oh, the sin that I'm doing, it is so small. It is so slight. It's nothing. It's really nothing. It's nothing to you. But this is, I would say this is almost scientific fact. The sins that you do, your children will do also but they will also take the next step and they will go further. They will go deeper. They will sin more than you sin. So be careful. I want to point out verse 4. Everybody look at verse 4. Because here, you know, surrounding, like we're getting ready to enter a very, very, very dark chapter. But before you enter into the darkness, there's some beauty. There is some great hope. And let's see what it is. It says, Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. Verse 5 said, But he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. Right? So let me ask you this. Why, why was it that God received Abel's offering as opposed to Cain's? What was the thing? It's like, whoa, you know... Uh, you know, he offered, you know, he was a shepherd, so he offered, he offered a, a lamb, you know, and, you know, we know that, you know, in the Bible that, you know, God likes us. It's like, well, wait a second. In the Levitical, you know, temple worship, they also offered, you know, grain offerings and things like that. So it's not just that Cain was offering an, uh, something that was from the cursed ground because, you know, it, you know, later as the Levitical priesthood is fashioned, uh, they do offer things from the ground. There's the wine oblation where they pour out the wine. There is the grain offerings, the heave offerings, the wave offerings. And they do offer things from the ground. So it's not just that. So what is it? Why was it? What, what was there in one offering that God respected and the other offering that God did not and he rejected? It's a good question. This is a Bible college question. Everybody, well, what was it? You know, it's something deep and profound, isn't it? Yes and no. It's very simple. Uh, but it, it is profound because it points to something and it actually testifies even to this day. So uh, if you keep your finger right there, uh, if you're able to turn there fast enough, turn to Hebrews chapter 11. And th this is how cool the Lord is. Uh, while I was preparing for this message, I happened to be in Hebrews chapter 11 in my devotions. And so it was just the way the Lord just kind of hooks things together. It's pretty cool. And in Hebrews chapter 11... Verse 4, it says, By faith, 
Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it he, being dead, still speaks. Now you think, oh, okay, great, that clears it up. Are you, are you guys down? You understand now? It's cool? We can move on? He offered in faith. Well, as I was at the thing, it's like, okay, yeah, Abel offered in faith. Yes, he offered in faith, but faith in what? What was his faith in? Remember, there's only Adam, Eve, Cain, and Abel at this point. Maybe there are some sisters along, but the Bible doesn't declare it. So, you know, it's like, what was he offering faith in? There was no, you know, Psalms of David. You know, he wasn't like, he didn't have like all of those things. You know, there was no temple. So what was he offering faith in? You know, the law hadn't been given yet. So what was his faith in? What was he doing? that God looked at it. Well, there's a clue here because it was a faith that declared him righteous. Now, just, you know, looking backwards now from hindsight, which is always 2020, in hindsight, what is, what is the faith that makes one righteous? Faith in what? Or faith in who? What was that? Faith in the Messiah. And you think, oh, come on, Pastor Brian... There, there, there was no, how would he know anything about the Messiah and all that? Well, actually funny you should ask that. Thank you. You guys are great, great questions. <laughs> Fantastic. I'm really impressed. Uh, do you guys remember the curse? Do you remember what was found in the curse against Kate, uh, Satan? What, what was found within that? The very, very first messianic prophecy, right? And so you have in it, it says, uh, verse 15 of chapter 3, it says, he, w- he shall bruise your head or crush your head, and you shall bruise or crush his heel. Right? It, it, was, it was a prophecy of the Messiah who would come to destroy the serpent that caused the sin and death. Right? Right from the very beginning, right after sin ha- happened, the, in the curse, there was grace. Mingled with the curse was God's redemption. And so then you have, just a little bit after that, you had uh, Adam and Eve, you know, and they had their little fig leaves going on, you know, and they might have been fancy fig leaves, you know, who knows, they were like the perfect man, the perfect woman, so, you know, they could have been like really, really high-tech, fancy ones that would be the height of fashion today, I have no idea, but God said, it's not enough to cover your sin. He said, it is not, it is not enough, and so God dressed them in skins of animals. Well, I don't know any animals that can survive without their skin, what about you? Right? And so, literally, Adam and Eve had to literally watch God slaughter an animal for their sin. Oh, that, looks, that sounds an awfully, quite a bit like uh, the Levitical priesthood, huh? You know, we, we know in the Levitical priesthood, a person would come and they would lay their hand on the head of the animal. And while they had their, their hand on them, they would confess their sin and it was a symbolic gesture of them placing their sin upon that animal. And while, after they had done that, their hand is still on the head of the animal, the, the Levite would come and slit its throat in a very, a very humane way, try to make it so, it, like, if, if it cried out, that it wasn't supposed to do that. It was supposed to be silent. Also a picture. We'll get to that. That's another study. But it was supposed to be silent, and they would kill it, and they would literally, as their hand was there, they would watch this animal bleed out and die. So that was then, but here at, at, in Abel's day, you know, Adam and Eve, they literally watched God kill an animal to cover their sin. They tried to cover their sin, couldn't do it. God said, that don't work. That don't fly in my kingdom. 
And so what did God do? God killed an animal, a substitutionary death, and he dressed them in the skins to cover their nakedness. Okay, so now you have Abel. Now remember, these guys, you know, sin hadn't worked its way completely through the human race yet. They hadn't degraded as far as we are today. And so, and not only that, but Abel was a shepherd. He had a lot of time to think, didn't he? You know, he didn't have to run. There was no, you know, uh, teacher association meetings. There was no, nothing like that. They didn't have to run for soccer and all that kind of stuff. There was nothing. They, they, they kind of hung out. And so he's sitting there thinking about these things. And, and what did he see? Okay, well, God said that one's going to come who's going to crush the head of the serpent, but he's going to die in the process. Okay. And then when we co- try to cover our sin, it didn't work. And what God had to do to cover our sin was to uh, kill an animal. And he, he had to pour its blood out. And, you know, it was a substitutionary thing. You know, he saw that. And so he's like, okay. And, and all he had to do is put the two things together. It's right there. The picture is right there. And so what did he do? He, in faith, we know it is in faith, and it's a faith unto righteousness. We know that he was looking towards the Messiah. And he's like, you know what? This Messiah is going to come, and he's going to die to destroy the power of the serpent. And that is the same way that this animal that dressed us had to die to cover our sin. And he just put the two together. Now, you may say that's a conjecture, but I think it is a very reasoned conjecture. Because otherwise, how would he offer it in faith of the Messiah? How would he know to take a, a one-year-old lamb, which happens to be the exact Passover lamb that Moses would sacrifice? He did the exact right thing, and he brought its fat, just like in the Levitical priesthood, and the whole bit, and he offered it. It was a substitutionary death. It was a sacrifice that pointed to the Messiah, and that is why in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, it says, though um, through it, he that is able, being dead, still speaks. It is a picture. It is a type of the Messiah. His offering in faith was an offering saying, Lord, I believe you. He says, I can't cover my own sin, but Lord, you can. You are going to send the Messiah and he is going to come and he is going to deliver us from the power of the serpent. Beautiful, isn't it? We're talking Genesis chapter 4. In the heart of Genesis is the... is. It's the Messiah. It's the promise of hope. Though we have sin and death, though we are dying. How many of you got gray hair? I do. Though we are dying, there's hope. There is a promise of eternity. Heaven. That right relationship, that fellowship with God, it's here. And praise the Lord. But, you know, here's the thing. Have you ever noticed that as we... um, as we walk before the Lord and as we seek to obey him, as we seek to please him, people have a tendency to get angry with us. And, you know, I, I remember right from the very beginning when I first got saved. And those of you who know my testimony, I was trying to destroy my wife's faith. I was literally reading the Bible in an attempt to disprove it so I could finally shatter her faith and that she would finally worship me as I wanted. That would be just fine with me. And that was my thing. And so I was sitting there reading it, and I was reading it. And I, I got through. I, I didn't really grow up going to church. I didn't know any of the things. So I'm, you know, my knowledge of God, my sum total of understanding of God was from the beginning reading Genesis. And I got through Exodus. And I got about halfway through Leviticus. When I was halfway through Leviticus is when the Lord apprehended me. So I got saved in Leviticus. Pretty interesting. So there I am. I get saved in Leviticus. And what do I know of God? 
well, Leviticus, you know, Exodus, it's the temple, it's the sacrifices, it's all that kind of stuff. It's the, you know, the do's and the don'ts that God gave the children of Israel. And so not an attempt to be self-righteous, but just tr- to, to try to be obedient to what I knew, to my knowledge of what I had. I was trying to be obedient to it. So it's like I basically became a practicing Jew. And not, not the Judaism of today, not the rabbinical Judaism that has, really has nothing to do with the Old Testament whatsoever. But actual, you know, Hebrew um, Judaism, that's pretty much what I was. And the people at my church, they didn't like it. And it's like, I wasn't telling them to do anything. I just refrained from certain things. Like, I don't think I ate bacon for like a year. <laughs> it was a bummer because I really like bacon. <laughs> I think, I think, I think uh, pork fat is about one of the perfect foods there is. So... <laughs> There I was just trying to be, to walk in obedience to what I knew of God. And people got angry at me. They called me self-righteous. They called me a legalist. Like I had never said a word to them. I never told them that they had to do it or they were sinning or anything like that. I was just, I just wasn't doing it. And they got mad at my witness that I wasn't doing those things, that I was refraining. And they didn't like it. You know why? It made them feel uncomfortable because it's like they weren't doing anything. They were just, you know, they're coming to Sundays and that was about it. And and it's like, because they weren't doing anything or the things that they were doing were wrong, maybe they knew there was things that they shouldn't be doing, but they were doing anyway. And they had kind of seared their own conscience. And to see this like young guy just kind of basically, you know, being a Jew for a little while, it bothered them and and it made them angry. Their countenance fell. And so you think, let, let me just say this. What was it that Abel did that made Cain so angry? The answer is nothing. Abel didn't do anything. Abel didn't, come, like the Bible doesn't say that Abel came out as like, and being like super annoying, like, hey, the Lord, he, yo, he respected my offering, not you. You know, he wasn't that. It literally is like, you know, Cain, he came, he did his offering, probably nothing happened. He probably felt good when he offered it. Like, oh, look, at, look what I did. And then, you know, maybe later that day, maybe it was a week later, maybe it was a month later, whenever, whenever Abel connected the dots, and he came and he brought his offering. And Abel probably came in supporting the whole bit. And, you know, Abel put out his offering. And, you know, how does the Lord take his offerings? We know it from the Bible. How does the Lord take his offerings? It's a pretty showful thing. Fire from heaven. Whoosh. Right? And more than likely, it's probably lightning. So really bright and like, whoo. Right? Just like coming down. And I bet Cain was just like. Right? Because, you know, he came with his fruit and his, you know, his grain. He set it down. And like that, and he did his, his thing, and it was all good, and he went away happy. And then, but then, you know, Abel comes, and he got, he got shown up, right? He comes, he sets down his lamb, and it's like, boom, barbecue. And it's like, whoa. And Abel, and Cain was like, that didn't happen for me. And it says that he got very angry. He was very angry because God received Abel's offering. He testified, and it's like, you could see like that sibling rivalry, that jealousy kind of like stirring up. Why is it that God preferred her? Why is it that God preferred him? Why is it that they get all the breaks? Why is it that I have to work so hard? Abel, what does he do? He, he walks around and lets his sheep eat. So what? Big deal. I have to sit there. I have to break up because, you know, the, the, the ground bears thorns and thistles now. I have to dig out the weeds. I have to break up the clods. I have to plant the seed. I have to, you know, wait for it to rain. Then I have to harvest it all. Then I have to dot, dot, dot. What does he do? 
He sits around doing nothing. Sounds kind of like Mary and Martha, doesn't it? And the Lord receives his offering. He got angry. He was upset. And when we choose to follow the Lord, when we know what is, what is right, and when we choose to make that, that, you know what, I am going to be obedient to what I know, to the revelation that I have, I am going to walk with the Lord. Guess what? There's going to be people who hate you. People in your own family may hate you. People in your friends, people in your church may hate you. It happened to me. They don't like it. You make me feel uncomfortable because you are, you know, and, and like I got called extreme. I, call, I was called a radical. Uh, <laughs> it was like all sorts, you know, any name that you can think of. It was the radical, the extremist. It was the legalist. It was the Pharisee. Like all these things came and, and, and were like proud of me. And I didn't do anything. I was just enjoying my Lord. I was stoked to be saved because I knew that I deserved death. And so Cain was jealous and Abel didn't do anything. He didn't do anything to deserve being murdered. But notice, notice at the time, verse six, because Cain's, you know, you know, he was very angry and his countenance had fell. So he's probably like moping around all angry and upset. And so the Lord said to Cain, now, wouldn't be cool. I mean, this is this isn't a day when God still like just like spoke to people, right? I mean, was God there, in, like like standing in front of him, talking to him? Was it the voice? Who knows? But it's like he. I mean, this is a straight up sentence. This isn't like a feeling. You know, God is talking to him, and the Lord says to Cain, "Why are you angry? Do you have any right whatsoever to be angry at your brother? What did he do? He has done nothing against you." And, you know, I, I can see it with my girls. Sometimes, you know, Trinity or Sarah or Livy, you know, like me or Heidi will want to do something nice. Like one of, one of our kids, like maybe they do something that just blesses us. So we like bless them. And then the other kids will, it's not fair. Why do they get to have this? And, and I, I, I've literally actually stopped Trinity and said, Trinity, I said, you shouldn't be jealous that, you know, Livy got this, but you should be rejoicing with her. Like, how, you know, how great, Livy, that's awesome. Mommy and Daddy gave you that. That just shows how much he loves you or how much Mommy loves you. But we're not, what, what's our natural reaction? Ugh, that's not fair. Right? You know, the, the ongoing joke is that, you know, Jesus loves you all, but I'm his favorite. You know, you talk to Pastor Joey, I never have a bad day. You know, you talk, you know, you talk to lots of people, that's kind of like a, a, an inside joke. But, you know, that's something that could actually make, some, that could stumble somebody. It can make somebody angry. And you know what? I, I will confess, I feel like God's favorite. I know I'm not. I know he, di- he loves you just as much as he loves me. I know he died on the cross for you just as much as he did for me. And you probably did less in your uh, pre-Christ life than I did. But you know what? By, you know, like, like, I'm aware of heaven. I'm aware of what I deserve. I'm aware of Gehenna, the lake of fire and torment, right? But God still shows his grace to me. And you know what? It feels to me, it feels like I'm his favorite. He makes me feel like I'm his favorite. And I hope you feel that same way because it's true. It's true. You, we should all feel like we are the favorite, the favored child of God. Because even if, it, if there was nobody else, if everybody else in this entire room was 100% amen, righteous, there was no sin dwelling in their hearts whatsoever, and I was the only sinner, guess what? Jesus Christ still would have died on the cross for me. And he would for you, and you, and you. 
And so we have to understand that. But the Lord, he's saying, why are you angry? And why is your countenance falling? Why are you moping around? Now, I, I hope this day that you're not moping around because, like, you know, you're kicking rocks. You know, it's like, you know, God's not doing what I want, so I'm just going to forget it. Right? Forget it. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm just done. I'm not, I'm not going to do my devotions anymore. I'm going to show up to church, but it's only because, you know, my kids want to go or because my mom's making me or whatever. You know, forget it. You know, but, you know, I'll, I'll kind of go through there and I'll go do the motions and stuff like that. That's kicking rocks. That's your countenance is falling. <laughs> like doing one of those things. Right? Nobody's going to play with me, so I'm taking my ball and going home. Right? And, and God's saying, why is your countenance falling? Why are you angry? Don't you know? I mean, listen to me. I'm talking to you. How many of you guys would love to sit and have a conversation with God? Cain had it. Right? Cain had it. He's literally, he has the access to be able to talk with God. And he's complaining because he didn't get lightning. He didn't get the Disney fireworks show. So he's mad. And God says, why don't you just borrow one of Abel's, you know, offering, get, get one of his lambs and do it. And I'll give you fireworks too. I like barbecue. And, but Cain's like, mm, mm, right? And so God, like, he's rebuking him. He's like, Cain, he's like, if you do well, will you not be accepted? So here's the thing. Cain, he wasn't just chosen for the fires of hell. He wasn't just chosen, oh, you're, get out of here. You know, you're, you're a Cain of a lesser God. You know, you're, forget you. You know, that, that wasn't it at all. God's like, Cain, don't be angry. Don't sulk. Do what's right. Do what's right, and I will receive your offering just as I received your brother's. So because a lot of times what will happen is, you know, we're kind of like going through life and we're doing something, and it's like we do something and God rebukes us, and you're like, oh, and you get all upset, and then all of a sudden you see like your friend do something, and like God blesses them. Maybe they get a promotion, they get a new job, and, that, and you don't, and you're struggling, and they're fine, and you're mad. And God's like, no, 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 no. Learn the lesson that I have for you. Walk with me and trust me, and guess what? I'll bless you too. And even, even, if, even if you're like Lazarus, right? Remember the rich man of Lazarus? And even if you literally sit on a curb with open sores, dogs licking your wounds, and you're eating the scraps of bread from people as they, as they pass by and pity you, guess what? You still have heaven because Lazarus was in the, the, the bosom of Abraham. That's that place. That's that holding cell in Hades where it's also called paradise. And he's like, you know what? He had a harsh life, but now he's being comforted. And guess what? An eternity, we can't even comprehend how big eternity is, but an eternity of being comforted is well worth a vapor, which is what our life is called in the Bible, a vapor of suffering. Will you be content with what you have? Or will you sulk? Will you be angry? Will your countenance fall? It's a choice that we all have to make. It's a choice that we must make because you know what if i see you guys like if the lord's just like he's like he's exalting you and he's blessing you and he's causing you to abound i want to rejoice i don't want to be like i mean, think about it i can like be stoked for you like wow like look what the lord's doing that's awesome or i can be like why don't i get that i want a new car why do i always have to have hand-me-downs right? <laughs> i mean it's like what what attitude would you rather have what attitude would you rather live in I'd rather be in the attitude of like, dude, when I get blessed, I'm stoked. And when you get blessed, I'm stoked. I'd rather be stoked than sulking. <sighs> do you, does anybody here enjoy sulking? Some of you might. And if you do, well, then, you know, Cain's your guy. You know, vote for Cain. 
if you like to sulk, then you know what? Cain's your man. Vote, you can have, you know, vote for Pedro. Vote for Cain right here on your button. Right? But if you prefer to be, like, joyful and happy and things like that, and it's like, you know what? Rejoice when God blesses other people. Don't covet what they have. Rejoice. Praise God for what he's done in their lives. That's awesome. But here's the thing. If, if Cain's your man, if, if you got the vote for Cain thing, you got the little, the little thing that sticks in your lawn at your house, vote for Cain, then guess what? God, he's got a warning for you. He says, if you do well, great, you'll be accepted. He says, but if you don't, if you receive, if you refuse to, to, uh, to accept the Lord, to receive his rebuke, and to go forward, he says, guess what? He said, sin lies at the door. Think about a door, right? Your house. Imagine your house. And you open that house, and there is a great big poisonous snake sitting right there on your porch. You know, a snake, a serpent, is a symbol of sin in the Bible. Right? Girls, would you freak out? (laughs) Guys, would you be like, whoa! Okay? So now, listen. Sin is lying at the door of your house. Right now we're talking about the door of your heart in actuality, right? But you got this great big poisonous serpent ready to kill you and it's hungry and it's angry. Right? He says, if you do not, if you will not heed my warning, then guess what? Sin is waiting for you. The serpent, it's hungry, it's mean, and it's having a bad day. It's sitting at your door. It's waiting for you. And if you don't, he says, if you don't receive this, if you don't change your behavior, if you don't repent, here's the first uh, exhortation for repentance in the Bible. He says, if you don't change your ways, guess what? The snake, it's going to come in and it's going to bite you and it's going to kill you. He says, but he says, you are to have mastery over it. It wants you. It wants to own you. It wants to be like that Jill instructor who says, save the drama for your mama. It doesn't care. That snake, that serpent, that sin, it wants to have mastery over you. It wants to dominate you. And I don't know about you guys, but I know in my personal life, when I make concession to sin in even the smallest form, it takes another step. It takes another step. It takes ground. It's never satisfied with what I give it. Think about lies, right? You lie once, and then in order not to lose face, you have to lie again. And then you, the web starts forming and all of a sudden it starts getting out of control where it's like this burden on your shoulders. And it's like you just, you can't get out of it and you're so embarrassed you don't want to, but God says, humble yourself. If you do right, you'll be accepted. And then when you confess, I don't know if you guys have ever done that. I've, I've had like a, a lie tree going, like the whole web surrounding me kind of a thing. And when I finally confessed, it was so freeing. I was like, why didn't I do that months ago? It sets you free. It's like, oh my goodness, you know, Satan's got nothing over me. He's like, you're a liar. You're right. You're right. It's okay. I confessed it. It's all good. He's got no power anymore. It's the fear. It's like, he's, you know, they're going to find out. They're going to call you a liar and a hypocrite. And you're like, oh, they are. Oh, no. Don't be there. He says, you should rule over it. Right? How many of you know that you have a sin nature in you? How many of you feel it coursing through your veins? And somebody says something to you and your face goes flush and you're angry. And you go, I got the word for you. Right? It's in there, right? You know it's there. You know what you should do. You know what you should say. But, boy, you got something in there that says, no, I want to say something else. And it doesn't start with, God bless you, my brother. (laughs) Right? 
we've got it in there. But God is telling Cain and he's telling us, he says, guys, you got to have mastery over it. Right? James says another way. He says, you got you to gotta put a bit and a bridle on your tongue, right? You got like, to like make it to be in subjection to you because it's lit on fire with the fires of hell. That's pretty hardcore. Right? God says, you need to change your ways. You need to repent. You need to be a master over that. You've got this sin nature. It's in you. It's a serpent dwelling at the door, just sitting there waiting for you, and it wants you. He says, but you have to have mastery over it. But, unfortunately... Cain didn't have mastery over it. He couldn't get past that God received Abel's offering. My little brother, that guy who goes around and sits next to little streams and lets his sheep play in the... He couldn't get past it. Why does God like him better than me? I'll show him. And he probably just sat there and he kept just mulling over it, chewing on it. Like, and he's, he's like chewing on the cud. You know, he's just like, and he, he, he just can't stop. And he just keeps thinking about it, running the scenario in his mind over and over and over again. And what happens when you do that? Your anger intensifies. It gets stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger until finally he's like, you know, he goes out in the field with, with uh, Abel and he's like talking to him, talking to him. And who knows what they're talking about? But then all of a sudden it's like, Maybe he picked a fight with Abel, and maybe Abel like kind of like, what are you talking about? And like challenged him back, and that was all the excuse that Cain needed. And it's like, Ugh! and he just he came and he killed him. He killed him. He killed his brother. Why? What did he do? Nothing. Because he was deemed righteous by God, and that drove Cain mad. He hated it. He was jealous. And then. Notice in verse 10, in verse 10, uh, God says, you know, where's your, or in verse 9, he says, you know, where's your brother? And he's like, I don't know. And, and, and look, look how cold, look how cold what Cain says. Think how hard his heart is to say this. Am I my brother's keeper? Right? There, there's no uh, regret in that phrase, is there? Can you, can you guys hear any regret whatsoever, any remorse whatsoever in am I my brother's keeper? Basically what he's saying is, what do I care about Abel? Think of how grievous this conversation would be to God, who knows already what happened, who was there when Cain killed his brother, and to see how hard his heart was. And he's like, you know, am I my brother's keeper? Basically, it's just no regret whatsoever. And God said, what have you done? Now, I, I want you guys to notice this, because this is, uh, here's another, it's, it's going to point to something uh, in the future. It says, the voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. And then in verse 11, so now you are cursed. So now, now let me ask you this. Okay, where is Abel? Abel is murdered. Where is Abel? Because here's another first. Do you guys know where Abel is at this time? He's where? No, no, no. Where is he? The, not his carcass, not, not the shell of who he was. Where is Abel? No. Sin hasn't been paid for yet. He's in Abraham's bosom. It's not, and right, now it's, and right now it's Abel's bosom. Right? There's nobody else there. Can you imagine? Like, you're the only guy in there. It's like, well, you know, it's paradise. It's nice in here and all, but it's kind of lonely. I bet God sent some angels or something to hang out with him. Like, you know, play some board games with him or something. But so, so Abel's down there. Now, I, I, don't think, I don't think his blood itself is going, help me, God, help me. Like, I don't think that's what this means. I think this is an illustration. And what's actually crying out here? 
Our God is a God of grace, but he is also a God of what? Justice and vengeance. And God, knowing that Cain gave in to sin and killed his brother, God's justice is crying out. And what does God's justice cry out against sin? Cursed are you. You must die. The wages of sin is death. God is a righteous God. He is a righteous judge. And to murder his brother without a cause, God's justice is crying out. Abel's blood is crying out. Cursed are you, Cain. Vengeance is mine, declares the Lord. I must, I must act justly because I am a just God. And I must curse you, Cain. That is what Abel's blood is crying out. That is what you know, God's justice, his righteousness demands. But you, there's, a, there's a play on this in the New Testament. It's also Hebrews. If you go to Hebrews chapter 12, if you, if you don't want to flip all the way back there again, it's really short. I'll just read it to you. Um, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 24, and it says, To Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant... And to the blood of sprinkling, that's his blood sprinkled upon the true worship center in heaven, that speaks better things than that of Abel. It's like, oh, here's a New Testament thing pointing back to Abel. Abel's blood is crying out for vengeance. It's crying out, Lord, Lord, how long until you judge my brother for killing me? Yo, Lord, yo, take vengeance for me. Abel's blood is crying out from the ground, vengeance, Lord, vengeance. But not so with Christ, not so with the Messiah, not so with the actual, remember, remember Abel, the very thing that made him righteous? It was a sacrifice pointing to Messiah, the substitutionary death. And that Messiah, the Lamb of God, his blood speaks a better word than Abel's because his blood doesn't say, you killed me. Think about this. We murdered God. And you think, oh, no, 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 no. It, it was the Pharisees. No, it was you too. I don't know about you, but before I was saved, I used to take the Lord's name in vain all the time. I actually would mock and make jokes mocking the cross. That's who I was, right? We, our sin, murdered Christ on the cross. We're all accountable. We all stand guilty of it. And yet, just like Stephen, remember what Stephen said? He said when he was being murdered by the Pharisees, he looked up and he said, don't hold this sin against them. That's a better word than Abel's too. But Christ goes a step further. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And so as you know, Abel's blood cries out, cursed, judgment, righteousness, justice. Jesus, the mediator of the better covenant, his blood cries out from the altar, forgiveness, mercy, compassion, kindness, long-suffering. Isn't that incredible? And it's all right here in the context of chapter 4. And, and the New Testament comments on this, very, on this very verse. When we do wrong, God is a just God. That's why it says it is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. He's not stone. He's not gold. He's not plastic. He's not resin like a lot of the Buddhas and things like that are today. Right? He is a living God, and he is the righteous judge, and it is a fearful thing to fall into his hands because, guess what? His righteousness demands that someone be judged. And now, here's the thing, though. There has been a substitutionary death. There has been that blood. There has been that offering to cover sin. 
But now there's a choice that we all have to make. We all have to stand in this place. It's like, do I stand in Christ or do I stand in Cain? Do I stand in sin in the first Adam? Because if we don't make that choice, guess what? You've already made the choice. By doing nothing, you are already in the camp of Cain. You, you know, you're passing out flyers for Cain. Vote for Cain. But you have to make a conscious effort to say, no, I am not going to be counted with him. I am going to stand. I am going to believe on the blood of the Lamb of God. And I am going to give glory to him. And I'm going to put my faith and trust in him that he is the one that has redeemed me. And when we do that, guess what? From the altar in heaven, God hears the voice of Christ crying, grace, grace. If we don't, God's justice demands something. Jesus was, here's a big theological word, it's called propitiation. It means the appeasement of wrath. Jesus was the appeasement of God's wrath. Remember, because his righteousness and his judgment demands, it absolutely demands that somebody pay for what they did. The wages of sin is death. But Jesus is the propitiation. He is the appeasement of that wrath. And so we have a choice. Okay, do I stand in the blood of Christ that appeases the wrath of God? Or do I stand on my own? Do I try to make fig leaves? Do I try to you know, have an offering of the, of the work of my hands like Cain? And if we do that, guess what? The righteous judge, his justice cries out, you must be judged. You must be judged. And if you refuse the grace that my son has given you, then I will judge you. And I will judge you according to your works and it will fail and you will be cursed. Just as Cain. Wow. The reality of our sin and the grace of God's gospel, the good news of the Messiah in Genesis chapter four. It's amazing. Uh, I want to just point out something really quick though. In verse 13, do you see what Cain says? Doesn't this sound kind of ridiculous? It sounds absolutely ridiculous. But in verse 13, it says, Cain said to the Lord, my punishment's greater than I can bear. You just murdered your brother. You're not sorry about it at all. And oh, when I till the ground, it's not gonna, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be a fruitful farmer anymore. <laughs> you murdered your brother. You're going to be condemned for eternity unless you repent. And what is he concerned about? Oh, no. My brothers and sisters are going to kill me when they find out. Literally. Right? That was what he was afraid of. Lord, you're driving me away from your face. I'm not going to get to talk to you anymore. He goes, and, and, and not only that, but then like when I'm wandering around, he goes, you know, it, I'll be afraid, I'll be terrified. That's what that vagabond and stuff means. It's like he's going to be terrified going from place to place, just like staggering around the earth. And he says, and people, when they see me, they're going to kill me because they know I killed my brother. That would be like their cousin. And look how God has mercy even on this. Even though Cain is not repenting, notice this, this is not repentance. This is, I feel sorry that I'm being judged. I feel sorry for myself. Oh no, poor me. I did something wrong and oops, I got found out. I got caught. I'm upset that I got caught. Notice he never says he's sorry. He never repents. It's just so many times, so many times, we, we kind of mistake things. 
like we as Christians, like we're, we're, we're trying to, maybe we're witnessing to somebody, we're witnessing to somebody, we're witnessing to somebody. And then it's like, and all of a sudden it's like, all of a sudden they, they kind of like change their tune. And all of a sudden it's like, they're no longer like attacking. They're no longer antagonistic, but something is necessary. Something is absolutely necessary. The day that, the day that I got saved in Leviticus of all places was the day that the Lord literally, it was like a vision. And I saw a mirror in front of me and I literally saw myself through God's eyes and I saw all of my wickedness, my depravity, my sin. And it broke me. It was, a, it was a moment of repentance. It was a turning away from the sin, but to God. And worship, literally, you know, one of, one of the words for worship means to bow down. Another, worship, another name that is translated worship means turn and kiss. And you think about that, repentance and worship are the same action. Repentance and worship are the same action. They're two sides of the same coin. It's literally, you're here in sin, back to God. Now you're turning this way towards God to a personal relationship, turn and kiss, right? And you're turning your back on sin. See, that's the same motion. There is something necessary. We must, we must repent. And I don't care if you've been a Christian your entire life. As far back as, you know, Trinity, as far back as she'll ever be able to remember, she'll be a Christian. But there comes a day where we must choose to turn away from that and to God, to that intimate relationship with God. And as we think about these things, as we think about the blood of Abel crying out from the ground, as we think of the blood of Jesus Christ speaking a better word, crying for grace and mercy. When we see the offering of sin that covered Adam and Eve's sin, the animals, the substitutionary death, when we see, you know, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel, the Messiah pictured there. All of these things are like words and they're floating around in this room. Can you feel them? They're just floating around in this room. But something has to happen. It's kind of like eating something. Right, you, you can take a bagel. It could be a really tasty bagel. It could be like a blueberry bagel. You have a toast. You got some ice cream cheese on it. Delicious, right? And you can you can set it down on your plate, and it's like theologically, hypothetically, that bagel will taste fantastic. And not only that, but it, it will also my body will take it and it'll begin to convert it, and it will build more muscle, and it will burn. It, it'll become part of me. Theoretically. But in order for that to happen, what do you have to do? You have to bite it. You have to take a bite. And these things, your relationship with God, your relationship with Jesus Christ, our Messiah, it's floating around the room. You know, the repentance from dead works is floating around the room. It's theological concept. It's ideologies. It's around here. But something has to happen where you have to take it and you have to make it a part of yourself. That's repentance and worship. It can't just be knowledge. Knowledge does not save. Knowledge puffs up. Puffing up is an act of putrefaction, rottenness. And that releases gases, which makes things puff. Okay? Just knowledge will rot you. It will rot your insides. But there is no life in it. We have to take of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have to receive it into our hearts. We have to walk in it. Jesus said, if you obey my commands, you are my friend. If you obey my commands, you remain in the Father's love, even as I have. 
And now, this morning, we're looking at communion. And I couldn't have planned this. I'm not that smart. Cain and Abel, his offering for sin, his blood, Christ's blood, crying out. And this morning, we're going to partake of communion. And when you see that bread, it is the heel of the Messiah who stomped on the head of the serpent to destroy its power and who died in his place. That's the cracker. That's his body broken for us. And when we take that cup and we see that juice, guess what that is? That is the blood from between the altars, the holy place in heaven, not, not the Levitical one, the mercy seat that is in heaven. When we drink that cup, that is Christ's blood crying out, mercy, grace, forgiveness, redemption. These are the things that we are entering into now. We're, in just a moment, we're going to play a couple more songs and we're going to worship. We're going to have time together. Uh, the ushers will pass out the communion elements. And if you are in Christ this morning, if you have taken those theological ideas and you have brought them down and you have submitted to the Lord, you have given your heart to Him, then this communion is an act of worship. It is an act of drawing near, making the death, the substitutionary death of Christ part of you. It is for you. If this day, if you're still kind of wrestling with it, if you're not sure, if you're kind of like, ah, you know what? Make the choice now. Today is the day of salvation. But if you're not ready, then you know what? The communion isn't for you. Because to take of the communion elements, to take of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ in an unholy fashion is not safe in spiritual realms. It's not a good thing. It is holy. It is the Lord's. And so this morning, uh, we are going to draw together now. Um, We're going to worship the Lord through the taking of communion, that drawing near, that closeness, knowing that through the the breaking of his body that he crushed the power of Satan and the power of sin forever, knowing that his blood speaks a better word than that of Abel's. It speaks mercy and righteousness, holiness for us. And so I I encourage you guys to, to consider these things as you take of the bread and the body, the cup, the blood of Christ. Think upon these things. Remember Christ. Remember what he did and the cost of your salvation. Heaven came at a great cost, though it is free to us.